And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we welcome back a genius. This gentleman is well beyond his years. I love his perspectives. And I would say that's a central theme of tonight is to talk to people who are extremely bright and creative. They will have a profound, positive impact, not only on your mental health, but I'm sure they're going to have an impact on your, your metaphysical, spiritual development. When you talk to people that are well advanced or at least challenge themselves They'll help you to challenge yourself. And I think when you challenge yourself, and you push yourself, you grow. Let us begin tonight's show. And that rhymed! Yay! It is a great joy to welcome back to our show Dr. Nick Beggage. He is a powerful author. He has written a book called Angels Don't Play This Hard, Advances in Tesla Technology. He's also an advocate for freedom. He's done a lot of things that have raised awareness about some of this darkness that humanity is facing. At the same time, I consider him to be a powerful warrior of the light who's doing whatever he can to raise awareness. You learn more about Dr. Baggage by going to his website at earthpulse.com. Dr. Baggage, welcome back. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. It's always good to be with you, and uh, and, and I appreciate the time, again, to connect with your audience. and. The people that pay attention to some of the obscure <laughs> issues that we all cover in the in this day and age, although anymore, as, as long as as we've been at this, you know, you look around and wow, you know, it's actually unfolding in front of our eyes. So much of uh, what many of us saw, you know, coming for different reasons, from maybe different angles, but certainly um, a lot of unrest in the world today, and uh, maybe a, a time for sort of re-reflecting and rethinking some of this right now. So are you surprised at what, what is happening? And I'm just curious, is there anything that has completely taken you off guard as far as developments in the world? I'll tell you the thing, the one surprise that just baffles the heck out of me, and you know, you remember the cartoon with Wiley e. Coyote when he was hanging over the cliff before yeah. he finally fell? You know, it kind of feels like that, you know, in the world right now, <laughs> like we're all sort of the Wiley e. Coyote for the moment, but because you think about the economic shock of what's gone on, and there's two very distinct markets operating. One is a, what we would call the financial markets, which people with assets and wealth are doing really great right now, believe it or not. You know, I mean, if you really analyze that. And then on the other side of the equation is um, the main street of, of what really is going on with most people, most human beings. And these are very disconnected, you know, because you're thinking about, as I look at it, what we should be seeing right now, given the amount of government expenditures, is in, is, is super-duper inflation happening, and it's kind of on right. stall, too. 
it's why a wily coyote too you know it's kind of like wait a minute you know shouldn't this be doing something quite different than what we're seeing and and then i started thinking about it and because so many other countries that control such big chunks of the economy like germany or the eu generally when you think of the euro or japan which has been doing this for really over 15 years now you know they've been doing this crazy kind of spending relative to their economy and then you go well Maybe the economic theories were wrong. Stop and think about it for a minute. Because the theories that were built around uh, supply and demand are based around even a deeper thought of scarcity, right? I mean, there's only so much to go around. Isn't that the whole... I mean, you think back on your economics classes, if those those of us that still can, (laughs) uh, you know, but I mean, when you think back on it, uh, you know, that was um, one of the big premises, right? But what happens in a world of abundance? for just just kind of thinking about that for a moment, where there's a lot of supply. In other words, there's lots of services available, certainly a lot of people available, a lot of labor available. There's a lot of goods available, more goods than there is money chasing them, for sure, uh, if money supply matters, uh, right? Because that's part of that supply uh, demand, uh, what I would call now an illusion, because it isn't playing out the same way. I think we'll see inflation driven by real shortage, but not inflation driven by too much money floating around necessarily. And we're seeing that. And what it's doing, which makes me a little nervous, is it's validating the idea that helicopter money, as they're calling it, is okay, which then validates or lends some credence to the thought of uh, a, a universal paycheck for everyone, you know, or what we'd call communism. That's horrible. I feel, ago, I feel like that, that, that's killing. I, you know, I saw this little meme that somebody sent to me, and it made so much sense because they give kids trophies for doing nothing, and it conditions them to just accept a paycheck for doing nothing. I, I hate it. Yeah. I feel like it stifles all innovation, and I almost feel like, you know what? We need to lose some dead weight. When you're at a company, you, you get rid of the bottom 10%. And I think that, you know what, if right. people aren't contributing and they're not contributing their weight and they're not innovative, you know, humanity is going to be much better off. I think if we have a more like, you know, proactive, hardworking people, I mean, take care of our sick. But if somebody's able-bodied and just don't want to work, like, hey, guess what? Sorry, you know, you don't get the benefit. And here's what that gets to, you know, actually, Ron, when it gets right down to it, that's a base value, right? I mean, we would get up in the morning and then be expected to go to school or go to work or go do something that was beneficial for ourselves to improve ourselves and to, you know, contribute into. And and then, you know, we were all taught as young people, at least for our generation, that, hey, you had an endless possibility. You know, many of us that were fortunate to have good parents that said, hey, you could you can do anything, you know, if you just put your mind to it and your heart behind it and go out there and work hard. And those are all value statements, right? Work hard, use your own mind, be an individual. And that's what we're talking about being lost in the shuffle around all the noise of new words. You know, like everybody wins a trophy. Sounds good until you figure out that that builds a crummy work ethic. <laughs> you know what I mean? And no sense of accomplishment. I mean, how do you feel like you've accomplished something that's required extra effort and, uh, you know, the things that are passion and drive that make really creative stuff happen? And we're snuffing that out in the everybody wins a trophy generation. You know? So we get into the modern monetary theory. I mean, do you think that they'll be able to, based on what you've come to know, and that they'll be able to pull this off for a long while, that we won't have this high inflation because they're talking about doing a digital dollar? 
and I don't understand how they would be able to pull oh, something like that off. It scares me because here's the part that scares me about digital dollar is the digital dollar means everything and everything you do is tracked. Okay. In terms of, because in order to live in the material world, in the physical world, you have to spend money. All right. Uh, That's the engine, if you will, the fiat between all the goods and services and labor and materials and things that make things. But think about, Fiat being that medium between all those things. And then you get, uh, you know, like Xeroxing is printing, uh, you know, as we used to call it, uh, instant printing, right? Uh, and now you're talking three-dimensional printing of anything from a house to a hamburger. Uh, is that real? Well, probably so. You know, manipulating elements on an elemental level, is that probably coming? Yeah, it sure is. It's already here. It's just not commercially viable enough yet, but it will be. Now, that's again implies abundance right and so now you got a you've got two the big parting of the waters so to speak or certain personalities that are locked in materialism that believe they're better than other personalities you know and they have a lot of money and power and once you have a certain amount of money and you have a, your goods and your safety and your security and your all of those base things handled at whatever level you think you need then what do you do, right? And then you're the Bill Gateses and you're the uh, George Soroses and you're these guys doing what? Projecting their vision of the world without ever being elected or appointed or even properly scrutinized to make the world change in their own image. And these are uh, people that maybe don't think exactly like you and I do and certainly shouldn't have enough power to reshape the world without somebody at least giving them permission you know? oh, yeah, I don't feel. I feel like they're very disconnected. Like they're just they, they don't disconnected. Yeah, I don't think that a lot of people don't have in contact with humanity. Like I just, I I feel like they're trying to get rid of a lot of us, and they really want to exert this control. And one of the things I've been reading about is that they want to microchip us. Do you do you think that that's, that, true. that's um is that something that is possible? Do you think that maybe yeah. they'll, they'll, they 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 could pull it off all these people? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'll I'll tell you what's already going on um, in in just a a layer. You know, because people want to think that you got to physically microchip someone in order to have that level of control. Why? You don't have to do that. You don't have to add something. You just have to observe something that's already there. You see, everyone already has a microchip. If you stop and think about it, it's called your facial recognition, your iris scan, your fingerprint, your DNA. All these things add up to your digital footprint, correct? Because we can digitize all that. And then we can look at the world with your voice even. The modulation in your voice is as unique as your fingerprint. And five or six seconds of it with the right computer tells you exactly who's talking. And so when you think about a digital world like the one we're communicating on right now, no matter who's listening, no matter where you're listening, and no matter what vehicle you're listening on, whether it's through a radio, the old-fashioned way, or through the Internet, or through a phone line, or through this or that, it's all connected back to who's all in this network in this moment. And then that's being analyzed by some AI program somewhere to determine some marketing scheme or election scheme or some scheme to push everyone in this network with us together right now. Because the people who run these networks that we're all relying on are using them to screw us over for their own purposes. Okay, And I say that loosely because we could also say it this way. They're providing services that all of us can use and utilize to make our lives better, which is the pitch we get. 
But the pitch you get doesn't mean the words form the same picture in outcome, you know, because when you get a more directed and controlled society and you start looking at the book 1984 and you think, oh, this was a script. Yeah. No, it no, was a It's a blueprint. <laughs> it's definitely a blueprint. <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm just curious. Right. If you have all these billions of people on the planet, though, if you have all these billions of people. Let me tell you what they did in in India. Okay, India's got a good chunk of those people, right? 1.3 billion. That's a pretty good chunk. They did iris scans, facial recognition, facial scans, and fingerprints on their entire population. Last time I read, they were about 100 million short. They were trying to catch, you know, in the net. And they had outlawed cryptocurrencies, being able to manage through any of their um, legitimate uh, internet digital platforms. And they uh, got rid of the 1,000 rupee note at that particular time, and, and they gave them 30 days to turn them in, because those were the notes that the black market used for most of their illicit trade and bribes and all that crap. So you had to show up at the bank to convert your big pile of hidden money or and explain where you came of it and pay the taxes that are due on it and so on. Um, but they did all that. And then at the same time that was rolling out, China with another billion plus people, what they did is facial uh, the facial recognition and the uh, tech rollout so that you get a social score there. You see like a credit score. Only you don't get passports. You get to go to good schools or your kids go to good colleges or you live in the right apartment or you get the right job or the promotion. You don't get diddly squat in that world unless you are in total compliance. And that is coming to a neighborhood near you. And these rollouts for 2 billion people plus a third of the planet more or less, yeah, you can scale it up and they already did. And then they put their technology around the world to make sure they could scoop up everybody else's data and use that too. Because that's what the world is about. That's what privacy is about. That's what freedom and liberty is about in the 21st century is a digital world that either entraps us or frees us. And right now we're all in the trap and don't know it. Well, what are some of the ways, if it's possible, to escape that trap? Are we destined for this? Are we completely destined for that? Because I know at one point, talking last week about these forces that were building up and that maybe humanity would, would win in the end, but as of right now... Wow. <laughs> here's, here's, here's the other flip side, sure. okay, the esoteric sort of side of that equation. And see, then you have to have a non-materialistic view of the Earth, which a lot of these guys don't that are driving the truck right now, and the result is a lot of destruction, a lot of that. But but here's what I believe can happen and does happen, and I think uh, and I, and I would say this: uh, those you know those psychic phenomena that we read about and the way we used to call them, and now they call them uh, anomalous human capabilities because they go, oh wow, there's science behind this. This isn't so weird anymore. Well, here's the thing that a lot of the literature shows is that trauma. You know, when something happens, it sort of shocks your system, and you need this extra perception this extra thing this extra part it kicks in you know it's kind of a life safety valve so to speak well humanity goes through traumas individually and collectively and that kicks off the life safety valve so then we get this next little boost of evolution and we learn and i don't call it really evolution i use that loosely because most people can identify with it i call it remembering what we are and then uh turning on the uh the the right activity again. And so 
the connection between the material and the non-material, which science continues to bear out as time moves on, scares the elite because as we as a population gain an understanding, then it anchors into our belief systems, and then we can also reach those states through knowing as opposed to trauma taking us there. But we're in the midst of trauma, I can tell you, and we're in the very first chapter. We're in the prelude to the trauma. Really? We're not, because, we're not even there. So what, what do you think is yeah. going how do you see this playing out? Um, as far as well, the you know, once the money stops flowing, because at some point it does, as people go, oh wow, you know, because we got to reset our thinking. But the reset that's, that that there's two forces I see I see in the world: those that want a more directed and controlled society, so they can continue to keep um, the drones of the working class doing the drone work, and those that have managed to rip off the biggest chunk, keep it and get the rest. And, and there is that mindset. It's not with everyone, and it isn't with everyone with wealth. Absolutely not. It's the exception, actually. But the wrong people are using a lot of wealth to control a lot of other people right now. And so I believe there will be a backlash, and it's coming. And here's, what, here's the thing. It's all about the electronic footprint. So if you really want to have a conversation, at least for the present time, you can still do this. You can leave all your electronics at home and go into nature and take a walk in the wilderness away from cities and away from all that, that will eventually end too because of what we're doing in the um, lower atmosphere in terms of surveillance platforms and things that are coming that are in many cases are already here. But, but a lot of our privacy can be maintained if we're really fearful and we want to run around being afraid, but that really isn't the answer. That just shuts down actually the higher functions of our human consciousness. When you are experiencing anxiety and fear, science also says you can't reach these um, altered states, these higher states, these anomalous uh, potentials where you do things that are reported in literature like telekinesis, telepathy, you know, these things that are out there on the edge. But what we do know about that is it's in the calm. It's in being in the middle of a storm and being able to be that calm uh, mind state, which creates a coherent brain pattern that can be measured that tends to fall into the theta alpha ranges for some of these. But, but it, uh, in any case, what's going on in the world drives us the wrong direction. It creates fear, anxiety, hatred. All these negative emotions also have a brain state that you can look at and measure and see what it's doing and not doing. And then you can look at these other altered states, these states of high performance, being in the zone as an artist or athlete or whatever. You know, all of us know those states. And those, you can see a very different kind of brain state emerge, a rhythmic, coherent state associated with higher ordered thinking and all these other things. So uh, the, the first gatekeeper of your own consciousness is moderate your fear. And, and that comes from knowledge and that comes from self-knowledge and then you know, beginning to go in control of aspects of your life. And that's a lot of what's missing too right now. Because most people listening to this broadcast can't self-sustain. You couldn't be handed a handful of tools and cut loose in the wilderness and be expected to survive uh, a year. Okay? But uh, 50, 60, 80 years ago, the average person would answer in the affirmative, of course I can do that. You know, not can I and thinking about it. It would be a, a natural yeah, I can do that. That's not the answer anymore. The answer is we're dependent upon a lot of systems that have made our lives very complicated. Most of those systems we actually don't need. 
we just think we do because we bought into the game plan, you know, and, and they consume a bigger and bigger percentage of our incomes. How much did you spend on communications now versus a phone bill, which is pretty much all you had in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s? So the world is, you know, looks at us all differently, and we've all been reduced to either consumers, taxpayers, or some other name that isn't us. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if that human spirit is going to push back and yeah. eventually snap itself out of it because the way things are going right now, Dr. Beggar, I don't feel any kind of I don't feel anything in common with most people on the planet right now. Most people on the planet, when I ask them, they have no problem wearing the masks. They have no problem just doing whatever the government says. And they right. are like drones. They don't think for themselves. And I don't I'm not like that. I reject that. And I find that I find other people's right. behavior to be so predictable that it's it's not it's like it's like sad to see how predictable it is. And I don't want to be a part of that. And I know other people that are aware don't want to be a part of that. So I guess the question is is do the majority of people that are on this uh, do they do they win if the majority of people kind of want the human DNA to go to this path and you know just basically be drones? Does, does everyone else get dragged in with them, or does a tireless minority say, you know no. what, we have more power because we are more determined, we have more energy than the majority that doesn't think for themselves? So who ultimately wins? Is it a battle of will, or is it mainly? Uh, a strategy for the minority to separate itself from its own colony away from the the idiocy of the majority. Well, here's how I, I it's always been about the minority uh, report, so to speak, because nothing good ever started with the masses thinking this is a great idea. I can assure you for all of our history as human beings, if we look back, that isn't the way it rolled. And see, that's the miseducation that we've all received, that we somehow think that the majority, the vast majority comes into some wisdom at the same moment and goes, oh, now we're all enlightened. Let's go do the next thing. That is never how it works. Ever, ever in all of human history, whether you're talking about art, religion, uh, science, politics, governance, any business, any aspect of human endeavor. It started with a handful seeing the world differently and then beginning to articulate it so others could see also. And that's all we're doing. That's what you and I get to do. That's what we've been doing for as many years as we've been doing. And I've been doing it over a quarter of a century now. And you can look at what I wrote a quarter of a century ago and go, God, this guy was a psychic. And no, I wasn't. I took all the written literature, all the stuff, footnoted it all and said, here's where we are. Here's where we're going. And here's what's going to look like when we get there and you can read it and there and here we are we're there and it looks just like we described with a few exceptions you know this little even when you started the show you said what it was a big surprise well the big surprise is this disconnect from the economy which does and i go well what is that well okay if you live in abundance then those rules don't really apply and i heard this argument you know a decade or two ago and i kind of went that's ah, worth considering you know because i'm not locked in anybody's particular thought i just want to know how do you get there, you know, if you believe that? Because then maybe I got it wrong. And in this one, when I look at the whole picture, the vast majority of people are sleepwalking through life. I agree with you. And in most generations, that's always the case. But but it requires um, an articulation of something greater than what's seen. And sometimes people don't see what's in front of them. And so leaders see it. And there's a shortage right now. I'll say that. Okay. There's a real deficit in true leadership across every discipline, you know. But in having said it, there's a bunch of people who do not know who they are yet. 
And that's my message to those listening right now. You don't know who you are yet if you're not actuating your own potential, whatever that is, whatever you're doing, however you see it, uh, to the best of your ability. Because here's what I know. Nestled within each of us is an incredible spark of possibility that we may even view as a small thing. In other words, we walk down the road, we do this small thing. We go, oh, that's all I can do is this. I can just smile at someone and say hello. And you know what? Quit thinking about it that way because that smile to the right person in the right moment might have kept them from committing suicide. Then they went off and created the cure for cancer, and you did that with a smile. Wow, what a big, powerful thing. That's the only way to look at it, and we underestimate the power of who we are in every breath we take. And this is why a materialist doesn't understand what I'm talking about. Because what I'm talking about is a weird little synchronicities when you trip through life and go, wow, wasn't that a coincidence? These are those. The smile might be that. You have no clue. But what I do know is when you attach human intention, which is a very powerful thing, whether you believe it or not, when you attach it to a thought and begin to act, things happen. And you don't have to wonder about it. Just do that, what you believe to be right and true that lines up with your belief system. And you know what that's called? A simple word that everybody looks for for their whole life, and I'm telling you the definition, faith. It's what you believe in. Doing that, that's called faith. It's no more complicated. It's no hidden mission, and you don't need a priest to tell you how to do it. I just told you. It's simple. It's believing and doing. Faith. When it comes to faith, if a person is in a perpetual state of fear and the fear is overwhelming and the person who has the fear, uh, whether it be their body's reaction, they are doing what their body says, responding to the stimuli of the body, and then you have an individual yeah. who's making a conscious effort to believe in something, of those two individuals that I describe, which is the one that is going to be more likely to manifest their reality quicker or more effectively? Did you... Do, Oh, let me t- tell you, my, my fiancé, who's listening to us broadcast today, has had chronic migraines every day for 10 years. Okay, every day, this is a scale on 1 to 10, you know, 8, 9, 10, you know, miserable. But she will tell you, and she would tell you, that she's had the fullest life that she's lived in this 10 years while living at the same time, the most miserable life in the same 10 years. Okay simultaneously not based on the physical reality of her physical body being damaged every day and hurting every day in her mind and her consciousness and the way she performs her life nobody can believe it we finally got the labs all back and everyone goes oh how in the heck are you even alive and dancing around doing what you do every day because nobody sees it because she projects differently what you see is what she projects and that's based on her intention and how she sees the world, and I can tell you it really works. She's miserable, too, at the same time that she's not miserable, okay? So it's like this real weird thing. And as she rolls through it, you know, and comes through it, um, and and all of us have done that emotionally for sure in our lives, or you haven't lived yet, uh, in terms of torment and trauma. But fortunately, most of us are spared from the physical piece. But no, none is bigger than the other, I would tell you. Uh, they are... 
the life traveled is one of usually a lot of trauma. And I think Churchill, I'm paraphrasing, you know, it's like a bunch of unhappiness with a few breaks in between, you know, and and I don't want to see the world that way. I see it as, as the potential of being much different than that. Um, but again, we, we diminish ourselves so much, you know, we, we run ourselves into the dirt so much. We're self-critical so much. And if, and here's the thing about all that. If you believe, and a lot of people listening believe this, that you're creating the image and likeness of God, what a insult to that creation when you insult yourself with this downplay of how little you are <laughs> and how horrible you are, or whatever your self-talk is, because it's okay to see your flaws. You'll see them better than anyone else. We all do. We don't want to ignore that. That makes us into a sociopath. You acknowledge that. But then you do something about it. You know, you don't feel guilty about it forever. You act and you behave and you try and change things. And that's that's how we learn in our trauma of life. Because we know eventually if we get old enough and we survive it, that, hey, we could have done that faster. We could have done that slow. I wish I'd sped up the pace on the slow ones because I always ended up in the same place as the knowing whatever it was I was going to learn. So the trauma about learning, that's the physical manifestation. And the and then the intent about that, and here's something I would say with a whole lot of emphasis, if you believe in, even if you don't believe, ask for grace in the course of, course of following your individual path. Because the universe will give it to you. God will give it to you. Grace is really this. You know, instead of you getting, you know, you ask the universe for something, it'll deliver. But usually with a two-by-four across the forehead, because it's the quickest <laughs> route to the finish line to give you a little trauma on your you know, I mean, think about a little kid, right? How does a little kid learn? It's usually through falling down a few times. But but if you ask for grace, then maybe it doesn't happen in, in such a direct path. It slows it down a bit. And then you get the learning a little softer. Okay, so you still get it if you're aware and looking for it, you know, and keeping your eyes open, paying attention. But if you're not paying attention and you really keep asking for it, then you'll get the two-by-four anyway. So, you know... It's kind of like uh, grace is something we all forget, and, I, and I've met people, actually, who believe in the uh, eternal, but don't feel worthy of asking for oh. grace. And the first person I ever met that expressed that to me, you know, that broke my heart as a human being, because we all get that for free, whether we know it or not. And, uh, but asking is what's required. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, out of your yeah, own. I don't want a two by four. You know. I, I'm married, so I, I can't. I can't take on any. I already have a two by four, and I'm more concerned the other two. And that works <laughs> both ways. I want to be careful with that. You, when I'm looking at some of the, uh, first of all, I want to say that was an awesome answer, by the way. And uh, I'm going to your site, and I see that we have these sociopathic elites. They're using things like advanced neural implants, and they're utilizing this technology. And it seems that they have a, I don't know, a slightly competitive advantage against people who are free. So when they are manifesting into reality, they are casting an attention saying, look, I, we want to control humanity. So obviously they've manifested some tools that have allowed them to do something the average person couldn't do because they've got this technology at the tips of their fingers. Is there any counterbalance? Right. Is there any counter technology that free societies can manifest and can create? You think the reason why... Maybe there isn't so much counterbalance technologies because enough people haven't been fighting enough or pushing hard enough to manifest this. 
Well, that's. I think that you might say that, but I, but I, I kind of think that is probably already here. You're just not seeing it in the loud explosion of the parade through town, because I think it's already happening. Uh, as people begin to awaken to their potentials, they begin to act and behave differently. And so, what what I would say is this: is where the real power is in this, is not looking for a majority event. But for each individual person doing the positive things, the actual things that make a difference for their own lives. So first thing is you got to go, you know, you can't, a lot of people feel the need to go out there and help everybody else in the world. Okay, well, I would say that right now, a lot of that's been going on and it doesn't look like it's coming out so well. So I would say it's time to kind of go a little bit internal, individually and collectively to start re-asking ourselves are are we fortified enough to contribute something that makes a difference? And then what exactly is that? Not out of guilt or some false sense of obligation, but out of a real desire to do something and make it better. And that is it. And it and for some people, it may seem like a really small thing that you're going to do every month, but or every week or whatever. But I would write it even down, and and then put it with your bills. You know, the bills you have to open up and uh, hey, doing it every month and it's such a downer. Well. <laughs> Put the one thing that's not, that you're going to give 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes consciously for a few minutes to that. And you know what? Uh, my b- sincere belief is then the human race is, begins to function on what it knows to be right and true and what it can do based on individuals making individual choices. And that flows into how consciousness actually works. Now, what their advantage is right now is if you can hook up powerful emotion to the thoughts of individuals. Here's how it goes. Like if you try to meditate and a lot, everyone who's tried knows this story is you try to hold the thought and you know, within a few seconds, you're drifting into the daydream, right? You're off onto some other tangent. It's very difficult to hold a thought, but to create a reality from a thought to a reality, that's the power in it. You got to be able to hold the thought. So the magic that they apply, if you want to use that word loosely, is you take a million people to grab the same thought in the same minute and hold it for the same seconds within that minute, a million, and now you've got a million seconds, right? It's the same energy, if you think about it like that, the same powerful human creative energy hooked up only instead of with optimism and empathy and love, hooked up with fear and anxiety and panic and now you have that pushed into the reality creation squirt to create your 3D imaging in the real world that you then do by all the things that we do as human beings. Okay, that's the way we do 3D printing today. It ain't going to stay that way, but that's the way we do it right now. So you got to go, when you have the powerful medium that shuts down speech and then routes you through the router of uh, joint creation, that's what we got going on right now, to use all those words to help paint this picture. So we also have, that's a synthetic version. That's a material version. That's the version that we're all running around going, oh, crap, about. But you can let go of the fear on this one because we have this other version that's already been operating. The other one is trying to imitate. And it's so far from perfection. It's trying to imitate. It's the human version, the consciousness version that connects us all already into one unified whole that's individualized into human beings, flashing in and out like a neon light from the collective to the individual. If you could visualize that as sort of that as a metaphor for seeing it, 
And that's what we are. And what we do is we get lost in this part of the flash and we think we're only the material. And if we can begin to oscillate with who we are a little bit, just a little tiny bit by acting. See, this is the faith piece, the magic, if you will, the emotional piece, the part that we start to see as a vision for our, ourselves and those that we care about, starting with our families and our friends. And then you can start to address a broader community. Then you can make a difference because you begin to project with intention and all the things that you do begin to attract those things. Cause that's really, it is, I'm telling you the way it works. And anyone who's lived long enough oh, to get a gray awesome. hair knows it. I'm getting gray hairs and hopefully I grasp a little bit more from your perspective in your life's work. Have you ever come across a certain frequency or brainwave frequency that puts an individual in the highest state of grace? And where I'm going with this is I have wondered if cell phones emit a certain frequency or TV and radio emits a certain frequency that puts a person in a certain brainwave frequency that does not allow them to be open to grace that puts them in a lower dense vibration and allows them to just be controlled by their emotions so i'm curious if you've ever come across any research that would indicate a certain brainwave frequency that magnifies or gravitates a person towards a higher state of grace well here's i would i would kind of think about this a little differently um are there things that interfere with your natural state of grace <laughs> okay <laughs> because this is really the frame I want to come from. That's why I don't, I don't like the word evolution. I like the word remembering, because I think we're in that state of grace, and then everything that, that dissolves that vision of ourselves by the illusion we participate in is what keeps us from realizing our full human potentials individually and collectively. But you don't have to discover it as a group. In fact, you never will. You'll discover it individually, and then you'll infect others with it. <laughs> because once you know the mechanism, as you wake up and others wake up, and we're all waking up, whether we know it or not, you begin to share what you know. And this is when it begins to change differently. But if it's driven by fear instead of curiosity and empathy and compassion and the and love and the higher human emotions, then you'll create in a really ugly way. Because you will create, absolutely, but in a really ugly way if it's driven by fear and anxiety. And shortage drives fear and anxiety. See, the whole economic theory of supply and demand and shortage and all that, it, it all creates fear at the base level, food, clothing, and shelter, the base level we all have to have taken care of. And then you get uh, the next level, right, which is uh, uh, belongingness uh, or, excuse me, safety and security. You know, that's insurance, Social Security, uh, you know, having your nest egg, whatever those things are, having your farm where you can grow your food, whatever represents security to you. And then the next level is belongingness, being part of something bigger. We already are. It's called the human race. We just forget all the time. And then the last one is self-actualization. And this is and this is really where it should begin, not end. We should have that pyramid upside down because we start that way when we're born into the world. We come into the world, clean slate, and then everyone starts telling us what we are, from the government to the teacher to the parent to the friend, because that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and most people forget that we're not just the material, although you'll go to church and you'll go to synagogue and you'll go and you'll learn about the spiritual, but unless it really anchors in a way 
that you can reach a comprehension, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. It just is a bunch of words. So what 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 what, what has always been the challenge is um, is to to transfer meaning with words, and that is a, a tremendous challenge. And then when you know what see, if you think back on the when you're a little kid about magic and magic words, you know we remember those words, right? The truth of it is, all words coupled with emotion and framed correctly are that. Because they create all the reality we 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 see as human beings, it started with that. Every time, Doctor Baggage, have you familiar with something called singularity? Because I've been looking into it, researching it, and apparently there's going to be a point. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was even Doug Casey that was talking about it. He said in the next 50 years, humanity will reach a point where we're just all kind of, I guess, merge into one consciousness, where we'll just be one. I guess. It seems like we're, we're going to be having a realization that we're all one being. I can't really describe it, but are you aware of what the singularity is? Well, I, I hear a lot. You could take, a, a, like, you could call that God, too. You give it that name. There's about 700 names for God, I think somebody tabulated one time. And and here's the thing I would say about about words. Words are symbols to convey an idea. Uh, the idea of remembering oneness again, which is what you're describing, is what every religion talks about in a different frame of words to try and help us understand this in some way. You know, that we really are part of something much bigger. And, and by being made small, by being made to feel small and to see ourselves small and to see ourselves insignificant. And on one level, that's, that's true, okay? In the universe, you look, you look at the, if, if you can even contemplate it, you know, we're like less than a grain of sand on a grain of sand on a trillion grains of sand on a trillion beaches in life, right? But, I wish we were exploring the universe. Yeah, but, but then at the same time, think about a hologram as a, as a thing, you know? And what is a hologram? No matter how much you slice it up, it still has the whole thing in it right? That's kind of another way, to, um, by metaphor, comparison, or just kind of a way to visualize. That's kind of how we can visualize consciousness. Is Yeah, we're all individual functioning, but at the same time, we're also this other thing that you can't subdivide, you know what I mean? Uh, and so that's the oscillation I was sort of talking about, where you're, and, and where it's like that neon light, you know, or that... Uh, a rather fluorescent light that flickers on and off at the right rate, so you you perceive the light as constant when really it's flickering at sixty hertz, you know. But your eye can't perceive that separation, that vibration difference. It just sees a solid light. Well, that's what I'm thinking about reality. What by metaphor again, where you're moving sort of from the individual to the whole, individual to the whole, individual to the whole, and free choice is kind of the individual participating, making decisions that surprise God a bit. Because how does God get surprised by himself expressing himself through an individual? So maybe this is kind of that oscillation that we really don't fully... Because here I am trying to talk about a material thing that's non-material, all right? And uh, that's kind of difficult because the words don't really paint the picture. Well. Oh, you're doing a great job explaining it. I mean, definitely added a lot more to it. Previously on our show, we've interviewed this gentleman named Spiro Skoras. He's really cool. I think the world of this gentleman. And... He's talked a lot about something called Agenda 21, where the elites, I guess, have been putting this plan in place for a long time, where they're trying to get us all uh, microchipped. We talked about it a little earlier, and apparently their main goal is 2025 is when they're going to have everyone hooked up. 
based on what you are seeing right now, based on uh, the, looking at humanity right now, do you think that they'll be able to pull it off, or do you think that in some way, shape, or form, humanity has a chance of breaking out? I know we discussed a little bit earlier, but Agenda 21 seems to be something that they are putting in piece by piece by piece, and I just am looking to find if there's anything that would counterbalance it, if there's a hope coming this, that. I would say we're at, the, we're at that crossroads at, in, in 2020. And, and 2020 vision, right? I mean, that's what we really need is a different vision for going forward. Because we have five years to perfect that vision. Could that vision happen, the one you just expressed, their vision of 2025? Yes, it can. Absolutely can happen. Depends upon how much energy is moved a different direction. Okay, and then they say, oh, but the masses, yeah. Let me tell you something. It only takes one. This is the thing that people don't get. A billion unenlightened people don't equal one enlightened person who's come back into their own fullness. And so what I would say is this. It doesn't require a majority, and it ain't going to be one. Uh, that I can say with a great deal of confidence, having looked at this from a lot of different angles over now my lifetime of, of, of 60, headed into 62 years. And I go, when I look at it, I go, no. We're at a crossroads again, and some will move, and some will die, and some will live, and some will thrive, just like every other crossroads in human history. And this time, though, it's not one or two enlightened beings popping up. I think there's a whole mass of people, and they're not running in any parade, and they're not the ones you're listening to on the radio. They're going to be the big surprises. It's going to be the cab driver and the bus driver and the carpenter. And people forget this, you know, and I want to remind everyone from a Christian background, you know, the last guy that said he was God was also a carpenter for the first 30 years. And, you know, and, and, and I would say that with, with, with total humility because— <laughs> Excellent point. Don't look for enlightenment at the front row in the parade. It is all around us. It's in every kind of person that you could possibly imagine. And we are all going to be surprised as things change in the world because all of us have this potential. Every single soul listening to this has the potential to change the entire planet, and the only requirement is realization of the truth of that and acting on it, one at a time. Dr. Nick Baggage, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Wow, was that a stream of positive energy and inspirational uh, hope? I think we needed that. We all needed a shot of that, and I hope everyone got their, their fill and absorbed a lot of the great energy that Dr. Baggage was presenting. You learn more about Dr. Baggage by going to his website at earthpulse.com. He's author of several books. We'll post links to all of them. But I encourage you to check out his website, earthpulse.com. Check out his latest articles. He's got 50 free videos on 50 different subjects. And he also has ebooks available. Dr. Baggage, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Ron. And we'll look forward to doing it again. I know we do this periodically, and, and I always enjoy uh, touching your audience. Thank you so much for giving me the proof. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our awesome guest, Dr. Nick Beckage, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Dellis, Ms. Lisa McGarry, and our social producer, Jenny Lomisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, well, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.